I'm excited for the conclusion of our Family Foundation series. I hope it's been a blessing to you, and I hope that this message will as well, as we talk today about living your legacy. Living your legacy. When I was 25 years old, my unit was getting ready to deploy to Iraq when I was in the Army. And one thing that the military does when soldiers are deploying is they have everyone make a will. A will and testament. And that's not something you normally think about doing when you're 25 years old. Like, I didn't even have that much stuff. So I'm like, okay, um, to my brother, I bequeath my Xbox and all my earthly goods in the form of Chipotle gift cards totaling $38. Like, I don't know. I don't got a lot. Like, this isn't something that people really think about usually until the sunset years of their life when they start asking questions about, you know, like, which of my kids do I like the most and what am I going to give them? And how will I be remembered when I'm gone? And, and did my life make an impact on this world that is really a question of legacy. And what people are asking is, what's my legacy? For our purposes today, legacy is defined as your impact on future generations. What you pass on. How you'll be remembered when you're gone. That's what legacy is. We want you to live a legacy. That's what our church is here for, to help you live a legacy. My favorite example of this is in scripture, probably starting with Abraham. Let me start with Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. And then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants, and we're talking about family and offspring and descendants and legacy today. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. How many of you just want your kids to graduate high school, right? <laughs> I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God. Notice at first he said, I'm God Almighty. And now if you live a blameless life and serve me, I'll be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give you the entire land of Canaan where you now live as a foreigner I'll give it to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. He was God Almighty, and now through Abraham's faithfulness, God became his God and the God of his children. So in this passage, Abraham is 99 years old, but he lived to be 175 years old. So he was just a little bit more than halfway through his life. So it says he was a young man. And God says, I want you to serve me. God doesn't just bless us because he likes our face. It's actually a contingent covenant on ongoing faithfulness. His blessing comes through faithfulness. And it says in Hebrew that Abraham was counted as righteous because of faith in God. And his faith, a faith that saves, is a faith that works. We're not saved by works, we're saved by grace. But the faith that actually changes us, that saves us, that's a faith that results in a faithful life of service to God. Notice God said, I'm changing your name. You'll no longer be the artist formerly known as Abram. You'll be Abraham. 
Just like when you put your faith in Jesus, God changes your identity. You're no longer a lost person who did some things. You're now a child of God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Aren't you grateful for a changed identity? And did you see how God said, I'm going to bless your descendants and their descendants through you. This is a great example of legacy. And so I want to show you how it jumps ahead to his grandson, Jacob. I'll read you more scripture. Genesis 28. We like the Bible in this church. The Lord said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather, Abraham, and the God of your father, Isaac. The ground you're lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. You see the repetition there. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth. They'll spread out in all directions to the west and east, north and south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. That's because through their family came Jesus. What's more, I'm with you and I'll protect you wherever you go. One day I'll bring you back to this land. I'll not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. That's a great uh, promise there. We see how Abraham's life and legacy impacted his family and all the people of the earth. God's blessing later fell on Isaac and Jacob, not because Abraham lived righteously, but because Isaac and Jacob saw Abraham's life and they replicated his faithfulness. And so they also received God's favor. That's how it works. Is there anyone with us today who says, I want that for my family? I want to live a legacy that results in my children being blessed and coming to know the Lord and their children and their children. The thing is, some of you are young. You might be young. Others of you feel young. You might still feel young, but it's never too early to think about your legacy. It's never too early. The time is now. We often think about legacy like we think about saving for retirement. That's something good that I should do someday. (laughs) Like I know I need to do that, so I'm going to eventually get to it, but not so much right now because things are tight and I've got some things going on. But someday I'm going to start saving for retirement every paycheck. Next thing you know, it's too late. That's what happens for a lot of people. They think, you know, I want to do great things for God. I've got some dreams in my heart. I know I got some things I got to work on, some places I want to grow in my life, but things aren't really good for me right now. I'm kind of busy right now. I've been really stressed out. So someday I'm going to get to that. And the thing is, oftentimes it's too late. If you want to make an impact on this world, it's got to start today. We often have less time on this earth than we think we do. If I surveyed the room and asked, how long do you think you'll live? Average person would probably say, hmm, 88, 95, 103. I eat a lot of salad, <laughs> right? But that, that's actually not going to be the reality for some of you. Just this last week, we had someone in our church pass away who was 71, and someone else passed away who was 23. No one knows how long they have. That means you don't have a day to waste when it comes to leaving a legacy that will make a difference. In Psalm 39, it says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You've made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. (sighs) Gone. It says in Psalm 90, 
Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. I know some of you are like, I did not come to church to be depressed. And this is depressing. The thing is, it's actually helpful because it's understanding the brevity of your life, the shortness that allows you to walk in wisdom. See, foolish people say, I've got more time. Foolish people say, I can wait till later to address the things that need to be addressed. Wise people, wisdom says, every day is a gift from God, and so I don't have a moment to waste. But you won't leave a legacy unless you live a legacy. Legacy is not something that you accidentally leave behind. It's something that you intentionally build every day through your choices, whether you realize it or not. The choices you make today are your legacy. Let me ask you this, church. If your life ended in the near future, I hope it doesn't, but if it did, what would your kids put on your tombstone? Some of you would get a glowing epitaph. Others of us might be disappointed. Here lies our sometimes loving father and kind of nice guy. He had lots of bad habits, but good intentions. So I hope that's not what people would say about you, but some of you would say, man, up to this point, I haven't exactly done things the way that I would want to be remembered by. Would you be satisfied with the legacy that you've established today? What if your life was cut short and you didn't have any time to improve your grade? What if your children told your story forever based on who you are now? You won't leave the legacy you want if you wait till someday to live it out. So it's never too early to start thinking about legacy. And the good news is it's never too late. If you've got breath in your lungs, it's not too late for you to think about the choices that you're making, regardless of what you've done up until this point. And so maybe you're like, okay, Ryan, uh, cool, I'll bite. What do I have to do to leave a legacy? I'm glad you asked. First, let me point out that a lot of the things that we value most don't have any impact on our legacy. If you want your life to matter a thousand years from now, you have to build your life with the right materials. So let me talk about 1 Corinthians 3. It says this, Because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Any life built on anything other than Jesus Christ is established on sinking sand. Jesus is the only foundation that is trustworthy. If he's not the foundation of your life, you will struggle. But when he's your foundation, you'll always have that confidence. Jesus can't be shaken. Amen, somebody? Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. So he's talking about Christians. He's talking to Christians and how you build your life. We're talking about building materials here. It's like a Home Depot workshop. Gold, silver, jewels, that's one category, or wood, hay, and straw. That's a second category. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, 
but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So he's talking to Christians who are going to be saved because we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus, not by what we do. This judgment is not to determine whether or not you get into heaven. This is called the judgment seat of Christ by theologians. It's for Christians, and it determines the reward you'll receive in heaven based on what you do in this life. You're like, what? I didn't know we're going to be evaluated based on what we did in this life. That's why I'm preaching this sermon today. And many people, what they do is they build their lives and they spend so much time working on things that actually don't matter for eternity. Their building blocks are wood, hay, and straw. A lot of the things that don't matter for eternity are things like how you looked, how much money you made, the title that you had, how nice of a house you have, or, or how much what kind of car you drove, how many followers you had, how much power and influence you had, or how educated you are. Those things are cool, but they do not matter in the scope of eternity. Those things don't even show up on your file in heaven. Those are like the works of wood, hay, and straw, and on judgment day, burned up and gone. But these are the things that we spend most of our time worrying about and working on. The only thing that matters for eternity is what we do for Jesus and the people we reach for Jesus. We're going to talk about what it looks like to build your life with things that last. Those precious medals that that scripture referenced. These are things that last, that matter for all of eternity. We're talking about legacy today. Here's the first thing. Your legacy is what you do with your time. Your time is your most precious resource. It's the only thing you can't get more of. And I could tell your entire life story by your schedule, by what's written on your calendar. You know, you talk to some people, hey, man, how's, how's it going? What you been up to? Oh, you know, I've just been working a lot. I can tell about you based on what you've been filling your schedule with. Like, okay, that's a guy who's a hard worker. Or, or like maybe you're someone like you work out every day faithfully. That's a guy who cares about health. By the way, how can you tell someone who does CrossFit? Don't worry, they'll tell you. <laughs> or maybe you're like, oh, I'm taking my kids to sports. I'm taking my kids to parent-teacher conferences and, and dance lessons. Like, that's someone who cares about their kids, right? Do you realize that it's possible to have tons of activity but leave no legacy? Your life has to be spent on things that matter. 2 Timothy 4.6 says, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. During my life, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize, good news, church, not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. This is the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy, and he's saying, I spent my time on this earth fighting the good fight and running the race, and I'm excited to receive my reward. And the truth is that a lot of people are going to have the same experience at the end of their lives. I fought the good fight, and I'm ready to receive my reward. But some people aren't. You know who's not looking forward to the, re the return of Jesus? It's people who aren't living for him today. Those are the people saying, like, someday I'm going to live for Jesus. 
But anyone who's serving him today and spending their time honoring him, they're looking forward to his return and the reward that he'll be bringing for you. How are you spending your time? Are you using your time for things that matter for eternity? Some of those, those things would be like time you spend with your kids. If you want to impact your kids, you have to spend time with them. And I know that parents want to spend more time with their kids, mostly. But sometimes we tell ourselves that other things are more important. Like, well, you know, if I work really hard right now, then I can create a life that will be really good that I can give my kids. Here's, here's the thing. Parents, your kids don't need a good life someday. They need you today. Time you spend with your kids is legacy time. Or maybe time spent with God. Time spent with God in prayer, reading the Bible, or going to church. I know that most of you want to do those things, but often convince yourselves you don't have time for it. I'm just too busy. But you don't realize that the time you spend with God is what shapes you to become the kind of person that lives a legacy worth leaving. It's so important. This is showing God I value you enough to allocate my most precious resource to you, my time, and God rewards that. God rewards that. That's legacy time. Or another way you can honor God with your time and leave a legacy is by serving God. We talk about serving the Lord in our church, but time spent serving Jesus to build his kingdom, that is not time lost. It's legacy time. So just some real talk here. The best way to serve the Lord and to make an impact is to serve in a way that actually meets a need actually meets a need. What I mean by that is like, I've met people in church and they're like, Pastor Ryan, I am a champion, an Olympic underwater basket weaver and I'm ready to serve. Use me, Lord. And I'm like, well, what we need, man, is for you to serve in the nursery or the parking lot team or the cafe or the service team or production or worship or celebrate recovery or lead a life group or on the safety team. And people are like, but Pastor Ryan, I'm a champion. And I'm like, I know, we need you in production. But Pastor Ryan, that's not how I want to serve. And that's when I say, I bet dying on the cross isn't how Jesus wanted to serve either, but that's what worked to save people. So the church of Jesus Christ is God's number one people-saving strategy on this earth. It's plan A through Z. And it works when we work it. Hear me on this, church. I need you to serve with the church. Work with the church by serving in the church. Serve on a team. And my challenge is for every single Christian who calls this church home to serve on a team. My goal is that 70% of the people who attend church would serve on a team. I say 70% because I also want 30% of the people here to be people who don't know Jesus, who you invited to come and meet him. But my challenge is for every Christian to serve on a team. People will say, but pastor, I work a lot. I know. Are you working on anything that matters for eternity? But pastor, I have kids. I know. And you've only got 18 to 20 years to show them what really mattered to you. 
Some of you have a little longer, probably. <laughs> your priorities are your legacy. And your kids are already taking note. Hear me. Every church in America, every pastor who I have talked to this year has a shortage of people volunteering to serve on a team. And it's not because of COVID. It's because Christians are not living their legacy. What matters in eternity is not how nice of a house you have, but how you serve God's house. So my, ch my challenge for you, an action step for you to take is to shift one hour of your week. Shift one hour of your week from time lost to legacy. You won't regret it. Here's the next thing. Your legacy is what you do with your money. Some of you already thought it got awkward in here. It's about to go, next level! <laughs> See, like, not every week is like this, but our church is kind of like this. <laughs> So, you know, if you want a church that will never offend you or push you outside of your comfort zone, you will not like this church. But if you want your church to speak the truth in love and tell you the truth so you can change and grow and become more like Jesus, then welcome home. You're going to like this church. So I went to Arizona State University for my bachelor's degree. And I noticed uh, when I was there, a lot of the prominent colleges were named after large donors, like the W.P. Uh, Carey School of Business, named after a man who gave $50 million to the school, or the Ira Fulton School of Engineering. Same thing, guy gave $50 million to the school. And so I asked, why would you give that much money just to have something named after you? It's because these guys were rich, but they were concerned because they knew I can't take my money with me when I die. And so they wanted to create a legacy. They wanted to be remembered when they were gone and feel like they made a difference. As nice as that might be, those schools and buildings are one day going to be dust. And not a brick will remain. You can leave a legacy with your wealth. And you don't have to be rich. It's not based on what you make, but on what you give. And it's not just giving, but rather giving to God that leaves a legacy. Do you realize that in a sense, as a Christian, you actually can take your wealth with you when you die. If you send it on ahead to the kingdom of God. I'll show you. Matthew 6, verse 19, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermins destroy and where thieves break in and steal and where pandemics crash the economy and where governments tax you. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermins do not destroy and where thieves do not break and steal. And watch what it's about. It's really about your heart. Whenever we talk about money, I love it actually because it's about your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The story of your life is going to be written in your bank statements. Whatever you prioritize and love will be evident in your bank statements. I could comb through your bank statements and tell what you're into. Some of you will be like, man, he is really into sports. She is really into her kids. They obviously loved to travel. Would anyone be able to comb through your bank statements and come to the conclusion that you loved God? Because when you love someone, you'll honor them. 
Let me show you how that works. Proverbs 3.9. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first part of everything you produce. The only way to honor God with something is with the first part. If he's not first, it's not honoring him. He's God Almighty. He doesn't do second place. So that looks like this. Like when you get paid, you honor God first. That's how you honor him with your wealth. He comes first. That's how we do it. I'll show you an example of this. Genesis 28, verse 20. Going back to Jacob, after God made him this awesome covenant promise, Jacob made this vow. If God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God, and this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God, and I will present to God a tenth of everything he gives me. Jacob voluntarily declared to God, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything you give me. Not to earn God's favor, but in response to God's favor. This is the same thing that his grandpa Abraham did. Look at this, Genesis 14. Abram gave a tenth of everything. He gave that to the priest of God. So now his grandson is following in his footsteps. Neither of these guys were commanded to do this. They chose to do it. And then God reaffirmed this principle through the law that he gave to Moses. I'll show you one example. Leviticus 27, verse 30, God says, One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees or a paycheck you got from your job, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. It's not even really something that you gave to God. It already belongs to him whether you give it or not. It's already God's and it's holy. And the only way to honor him is by returning it to him. Then Watch this. In the New Testament, Jesus reaffirms this principle. Matthew 23, 23. Jesus says, you should tithe. Yes. <laughs> Look it up. <laughs> like, he, says, he says, you should tithe. And I'll give you the context for this. He says, you should tithe. But here's what he goes on to kind of say. God cares even more about your heart. Because you can actually do this but not have a, a, a right heart. And so really what he's saying is like tithing is JV, bro. God wants you to do that, but he also wants you to have a right heart and care about the right things. If Jesus didn't want us to tithe anymore, he could have said that. Hey, you don't need to worry about that anymore. I'm here now. But instead he said, yeah, that's good. You should do it. And he didn't say more about it. Some of you are like, why didn't Jesus say more about tithing? That's because everyone already did it. He came to the Jews, and all the Jews were already following the commands of Moses. They already, he didn't need to talk about it more because everyone did it. Do you realize that Jesus himself actually tithed? How many of you agree he was perfect and fulfilled all the commands of God? Someone needs to help me preach this message, right? So when he got paid before he was healing people for the work that he did, he would have brought all the required offerings and tithes to the house of God, the same way that we do today. Tithing is something that all Christians should do to honor the Lord with their wealth. It's not something you have to do to be saved. Because remember, we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. It's something we choose to do out of obedience because we're saved. Like Abraham, he gave voluntarily because God was good to him. Jacob gave voluntarily before uh, he had to because God was good to him. And there are people that say, like, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. 
I don't need to serve to be a Christian. I don't need to give to be a Christian. And it's like, you're right, bro. You don't have to do those things to be saved because we're saved by grace. But you might look like that guy who was saved, barely escaping the flames, in heaven with your eyebrows singed off. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> I want you to have better than that and experience better than that. Here are the top five reasons people don't tithe. I've heard a lot of the reasons. Here they are. One, they don't know they should. I just ruined that for you. <laughs> Two, people think they can't afford it. I don't make enough money. Tithing isn't about your paycheck. It's about your priorities. Because it happens first, anyone can afford it because it happens first. Three, people are afraid. I won't have enough. I would just challenge that and say, if you trust God to save your soul, you should trust him to feed you and provide for your earthly needs. That's easy. That's easy. Some people think, the church just wants my money. That's one I hear a lot from people who say, the church just wants my money. The thing is, we don't want your money. The church doesn't want your money. We don't even need your money. There's enough people who have already put God first in our church family. Our giving is strong. Our budget is healthy. It's been strong throughout this pandemic. In fact, I stood up in front of hundreds of pastors in Arizona last week, and I told them, if your church has been impacted by this pandemic and your family hasn't been able to get paid, let me know, and our church will help you out. We're giving away more money than we ever have before because so many people in this church have been faithful. And I want to just challenge you in this. If you're like, I don't know if I can really do this. I don't really know. You have got to take a step of faith and trust God. And we'll even help you to do it. I'll, I'll actually invite you to participate in this. I call it the 90-day tithe challenge. You can sign up on our app. And you're like, I don't know. I don't know. Here's what, here's what I'm saying. You sign up and then tithe for 90 days. And if at the end of that 90 days you don't feel like God blessed you and helped you grow and was a, had a big impact on your life, just let us know. We'll return that money to you. The Bible doesn't command us to do that. I'm just that confident in what the Bible says. And then here's the fifth reason people don't tithe. Because people have heard this teaching. They've heard a teaching that says tithing was part of the law and I'm saved by grace so I don't have to to tithe. And I want you to know today, that is erroneous. One, it happened before the law. Abraham and Jacob did it before the law. This is for all you Bible scholars. Two, it was confirmed in the law, and not everything in the law is irrelevant to us. A lot of the law is still relevant to us. Like, I don't know, don't murder people, love your neighbor, like things like that. And tithing is one of those things. We know that because grace magnifies the standard of the law. It does not lower the standard of the law. Jesus, for example, said, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say unto you, love your enemy. Elevated the standard. You've heard it said, you shall not kill. I say, if you even have hate towards someone in your heart, it's like you've committed murder. Elevating the standard. Let me show you how that played out. The New Testament Christians, they didn't just give 10%. They didn't give less than 10%. They gave way more than 10%. Because if they tithed under the law, they weren't going to do less under God's grace. 
You can be saved and a Christian without tithing, but you cannot honor God with your wealth until you put him first by tithing. Malachi 3.6, God says, I am the Lord and I do not change. It's interesting that he said that when we're talking about tithing. I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Remember Jacob? We were just talking about him. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you've scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? I think a lot of Christians would ask this today. God says, should people rob God, yet you are robbing me? That's when it's like, what? That's scary. But you ask, what do you mean? When do we ever rob you? God says, you have robbed me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been robbing me. Here's how to fix it. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my house. In that day, that was the local temple. We don't have a local temple, but we have a local church. So our whole tithe, all 10% goes to our home church, our local church. If you go to church here, but like you watch other churches online or on TV, all your tithe goes to your home church. If you leave this church someday, bring all your tithe to your new church. That's how you do it biblically. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. You know this is the only place in the entire Bible where God gives you permission to test him? Your crops will be abundant for I'll guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fail from the vine, uh, fall from the vine before they're ripe, says the Lord. In other words, I'm going to protect you economically. Then all the nations will call you blessed for your land will be such a delight. Even outsiders won't be able to help themselves, but notice how blessed you are. That's what God says. Now, I know you might hear this passage and be kind of concerned, like, but Pastor Ryan, do you actually think it's robbing God not to tithe? And I would say, yes, because I believe the Bible. And I don't feel the need to apologize for God's word, even when it makes us uncomfortable. So this is something that I think you've got to really take note of. Not tithing robs God, and that hurts you and your family. When it talks about curse, what that really means is cause and effect. When God's not first in your finances, nothing else in your finances will work right. I've watched many people live this out. God's not first, and they struggle financially year after year after year. Until he's first, nothing can be in the right order. And I think about especially right now, especially right now, I would want this for you. Because you know who I would not personally want to be? I would not want to be a non-tither during a global pandemic. Because, like, God promises to protect and provide for those who honor him with their finances. What does that mean? He's going to make things go further. He's going to make things last longer. When other people are getting laid off, you're not going to get laid off. If you do get laid off, you don't have to worry because God's already promised to provide for you. And if you got laid off, I'd actually be excited because it might be God setting you up for an even better job. Tithers aren't worried. You know who's worried? Non-tithers, because they already told God to stay out of their finances. And so God says, okay, take it from here. But when you put him first, he promises to bless you. He promises to bless you. And honestly, the blessing, it comes through, yes, finances. Financial blessing is a real part of that, but also spiritual blessing. 
relational blessing? Because when you put God first in your life, everything gets better. And then once you do establish tithing as a practice in your life, then you have the opportunity to give above and beyond that as the Lord leads you. This is called spirit-led generosity. I don't actually think that tithing is being generous. I think of tithing as being obedient. And then after you're obedient and do what really you should do, then you can be generous when you choose to give as the Lord leads you. So like that's, for example, like Kingdom Builders. Like we have Kingdom Builders as a fund where we support missionaries and outreach, like our food pantry and, and church expansion, like building our new building so we can reach more people and make room. People who gave to Kingdom Builders, they were already tithers, and then they chose to give above and beyond it. That's sacrificial generosity, church. And if you think God will bless you for tithing, he will. How much more will he bless you for giving cheerfully and joyfully as the Holy Spirit leads you? Some of you, this makes you uncomfortable. Some of you, this subject even makes you upset. I want you to understand why that is. If it makes you uncomfortable... That's because there is a war taking place inside of you. I get it. I've been there. There's a war taking place between your spirit and your flesh. Your spirit, for those of you who are Christians, has been raised to life in Christ. The Holy Spirit now dwells in you. So your spirit recognizes the truth of God's word and wants to honor it. Your spirit wants to put God first and obey him. But your flesh is sinful and and selfish. And so there's a battle that takes place. I've been there. I've been there before. I was, you know, tithing as a young person. You know, I wanted to. In my heart, I was convicted, and I knew it's what I should do, but I wrestled. I didn't really want to let go. I wanted to be in control of my finances. I wanted more for me. And then I learned that when you actually submit to God and put him first and honor him, he blesses you, and it's so much better. And so for those of you who might be feeling that inner struggle, it's your spirit recognizing the truth, convicting you of the truth. Is that, That's what makes you uncomfortable as your flesh wrestles against it. Galatians 5 says, walk by the spirit. Don't be controlled by your flesh. So my action step for you, my challenge is to reprioritize God in your budget, put him into first place. Put him into first place. For someone, that's a big challenge, but that's going to lead to legacy and blessing that honestly makes an eternal impact. I'm going to close with this. Your legacy is how you impact people. When we talk about serving and we talk about giving, we're actually talking about people Because we do both of those things ultimately to reach and impact people. And your soul is what lasts for eternity. Heaven and earth will all pass away, but your soul is eternal. And so we're trying to reach people. Your impact on people is your legacy. It starts with your kids, those of you who are parents. Your kids are likely going to prioritize what you prioritize. And so for the Christians in the room, let me ask you, what if your kids gave and served the way that you do? Would God's kingdom advance or would it move backwards? Your legacy is the people that you reach 
for Christ. So, man, when you invite someone to church, that's not just sharing a good thing. When you tell someone about Jesus, that's not just helping someone out. You're, you're potentially changing someone's eternal destination. Man, when you give to this church and you support the ministry of this church, you're a part of all the wins experienced at this church. That creates legacy for you. I think one of the best parts of heaven is going to be walking around and just meeting people who your life touched. Meeting the people that were impacted through your service and giving and faithfulness to the Lord. You got eternity, so there's going to be plenty of time to meet all these people. For some of you, it's going to be thousands and tens of thousands of people, and there will be no better feeling. No one's going to look back on their life and say, I wish I would have done less for Jesus. And then lastly, it's the way you represent Jesus to people. Are you treating people with kindness and with love? Are you showing mercy to those who need it? Are you helping people who can't help themselves? Are you fighting for those who are oppressed? My prayer for you is to live a legacy that lasts. I want people to say about you, he loved God. She loved the Lord. I can tell based on what they prioritized. I can tell based on how they live their lives and the choices they make. They, they, they help so many people find salvation in Jesus. This is work that survives and receives an eternal reward. It's a legacy that will be a blessing to you and your children and their children. When your life eventually ends, and I hope it's a long time from now, when time is over, What's even more important than what people say at your funeral is what Jesus says about you when you stand before him. Is he going to say, depart from me, I never knew you? Or is he going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little, so I'm going to entrust you with much. Enter into your master's happiness and receive his reward. That's what I want for you. I want you to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. It happens by accepting Jesus and then living a legacy. And I wanna close here. Maybe there's someone here who says, I'm not ready for my life to end. Maybe there's someone with us today at Awatuki who says, I, I don't, I don't wanna see Jesus today because I'm not ready to see Jesus. Or maybe online, you're like, I don't know what's gonna happen to me if I were to die. You don't have to live in uncertainty or fear of death. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can have confidence in your salvation, hope, knowing that no matter what happens, your best days really are ahead of you. No one who has accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior needs to fear death because we know that what awaits you is eternal reward. And so if you're here and you're like, I don't know, I don't know if I'm ready, I wanna give you a chance to rectify that right now. So can we just bow our heads, close our eyes in a moment of prayer? And if you say, I'm ready to experience salvation, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, then I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. And if you mean this prayer from your heart, the Bible says you will be saved, your sins will be forgiven, your name will be written in the book of life, you will not face eternal punishment, but rather eternal reward in heaven with Jesus forever, experiencing all of God's goodness. If you say, that's me, I want that today, then pray this with me. Just pray it from your heart and say, God, I need you. I know that I've sinned. I need your forgiveness. I believe Jesus, your son, died on the cross for my sins and that he rose again so that I could have eternal life and victory. I wanna follow Jesus from this day forward. 
I want to commit my life to him. And I thank you, God, for loving me when I was still far from you. I glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.